Chapters 37 and 38 of The Barnabys in America by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 37 The Reunion of the Happy Family A Seeming Difference of Opinion Removed by the Gentle Voice of Reason The Party Continue Their Progress Westward To Albany, however, Major Allen Barnaby had no more intention of going than to Jericho. Instead of committing any such folly, he very deliberately went on shore at the spot from whence he could most conveniently reach the springs which his amiable family honoured with their presence, and arriving there late in the evening, spent the interval between that hour and morning in getting his party ready to set off. Nobody, however, who had seen him figuring away at the supper-table as a first-rate European man of fashion, would have guessed the real state of the case. Nobody would have fancied that, unless he had contrived to take himself off faster than the dear friends he had left could follow him, he would, in all human probability, have been exposed to a very disagreeable explanation. He was in high spirits, charmingly affectionate in manner to the dear creatures he had rejoined, and altogether so extremely agreeable, that the party at the table d'hote very much regretted to find that his stay was to be so vexatiously short. Before the company retired to their respective apartments for the night, Major Allen Barnaby took his son-in-law aside, and, inviting him to a moonlight promenade in the front of the hotel, made him, by a few words, comprehend the nature of the circumstances which rendered an immediate ramble westward desirable. The dawn showed no want of quickness in his manner of receiving this intelligence, and promised, with a greater appearance of courage than was quite usual with him, that he would take care his patty should be ready. This point settled, the gentleman returned to the house, and soon afterwards my heroine and her spouse were tete-a-tete -tete together. It was the lady who spoke first. "'What in the world does all this mean, Major?' said she, looking a little as if she intended to be out of temper. "'I should like to know, if you please, what reason you can possibly have for insisting upon paying everything to-night, just as if we had not another hour to stay here.' "'You have several hours more to stay here, my dear, and I hope you will pass some of them in sleeping soundly. But my reason for wishing to pay everything here honestly to-night is that I mean to go away very early to-morrow morning.' "'Good heavens, how tiresome you are!' exclaimed Mrs. Allen Barnaby, with a flash of the eye that showed her to be very heartily provoked. "'Just as we have got acquainted with ever so many agreeable people, "'and made ourselves perfectly comfortable, "'you come down upon us with your tyrannical I must, "'which just means I will, "'and presto, everything must be packed up in a moment, "'and off we must go, "'just as if Patty and I and Tornorino "'were so many blind puppies "'that you amused yourself by carrying about with you in a hamper.' "'Blind, my dearest love!' exclaimed the Major. "'You really wrong me very much.' Nothing, I can assure you, can be further from my inclination than even leaving you in the dark for an hour, and much less, my Barnaby, would I have you blind. Listen to me for a very few minutes, fair wife, and I will shed light enough upon the business to make you see just as clearly as I do myself. Some more of your pretty gambling exploits, I'll be bound for it, exclaimed the lady with a very ominous frown. Not so, my love, he replied with great gentleness. I really have not had the good fortune of being able to win as much money by gambling since you left me as would excite suspicion in a lynx. But if you expect, my beloved Barnaby, that I am to make ten thousand dollars in half an hour by any maneuver to which I should choose to invite all New York to be present while it is performed, and that, moreover, I should stand to be cross-examined by them afterwards, if you expect this, my charming wife, you overrate my abilities.' 
Ten thousand dollars! exclaimed my heroine with eyes and hands raised towards the ceiling. Ten thousand dollars! What are you talking about? I am talking, my dear, of the sum which I last inserted within the leather folds of my pocket-book, replied the major demurely. The which sum, although in very dirty American banknotes, I would willingly submit to your ocular examination, my dear, were it not that I feel the moments to be rather precious, and that I am aware you must have a good deal to do in order to be ready to start by the stage at five o'clock tomorrow morning. You don't mean to say that you have really done some of those smoking fellows out of ten thousand dollars, and then set off exactly in the way they would be sure to follow? Oh, Major, Major, we shall be caught at last. How could you be so mad as to come here? Chiefly, my dear, because I was quite sure that it was the very last place that they would calculate I should be likely to come to. And secondly, because I wished to have the honor and happiness of attending you and our charming daughter on the pleasant little circuitous tour which I intend making westward through this glorious and unequaled country. I do believe you are mad, Major said his lady, looking a good deal mystified and rather uncomfortable. If I did not know by experience that drink what you will, you never get really tipsy, I should certainly think you were so now. Then you would be greatly mistaken, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, he replied. I confess this little adventure has put me in good spirits and makes me appear, perhaps, rather more frolicsome than ordinary, but you may trust me, my dear, my vivacity shall not bring you into any scrape whatever, nor myself either. So set about packing up. There's a good woman, and then we will contrive to get a little sleep if we can. And Patty, exclaimed my heroine, suddenly stopping in the midst of the obedient bustle into which she had thrown herself amongst her bag and boxes, how on earth are we to get her out of bed by five o'clock in the morning, to say nothing at all of getting her luggage ready? Shall I go to her, Major, and try to frighten her into obedience? Go on with what you are about, my dear replied her husband, very composedly, endeavouring as he spoke, to assist in some of the needful packing operations. I have taken care of that. Tornorino knows all about it, and he has engaged for their both being ready, and their trunks too. But, Major, again exclaimed his wife, and again suspending her activity while she asked the question, how is it possible you can be so perfectly at ease as you seem to be, when you have come off with such a sum as that? What in the world should prevent their setting off after you? Hush! What noise is that? Mercy on me! What a scene it would make if they were actually to follow you in here, like a felon and a thief, and carry you to jail before my eyes. Don't torment yourself by any such fancies, my dear, he replied. Take care how you put in that beautiful velvet. That's the dress that you look the best in, and of course I have a particular value for it. But, Major persisted his wife, after giving to the precious robe all the care it demanded. What would become of us if these people should follow you here, and actually get you put in prison? Seeing at length that these anxious doubts and fears did very seriously impede the packing process, the major condescended to calm his lady's tender anxieties by saying, Be contented, wife, when I tell you that there is no law in the land that can trouble me for the next two months, and I must truly be in every way unworthy the happiness of possessing you for my wife, were I fool enough not to get out of their way by that time. The major was out of luck. This last speech seemed likely to put a stop to the packing altogether. If you really have two months clear before you, major, said his wife, 
why should we be kept out of our natural rest in this way i'll be hanged if i don't get to bed at this moment if that is the case two months why leave the country at which end you will it won't take two months to get on board the major now began to look as if he would not like all this much longer mrs allen barnaby said he you may remain up or go to bed whichever you happen to like best and moreover you may pack or not pack as it may happen to please you moreover such is my respect for your will that if you do not like to accompany me on my projected travels you have my unconditional consent to stay where you are but i leave this place at five o'clock to-morrow morning the lady on hearing these words renewed her labours and as she did so without any further remonstrance the amiable major at last took pity upon her curiosity and explained pretty tolerably at full length the whole transaction that has been related above it was to say the least of it very injudicious to attempt keeping so right-thinking a woman as mrs allen barnaby in the dark even for an hour for the instant the matter was properly laid before her she at once displayed all the admirable powers of her able mind and looked upon the whole transaction with a calmly philosophic eye of wisdom i thank you major she said i thank you sincerely for having at length made me understand the nature of this transaction as a jest played off to avenge as it were the numberless tricks which we hear of as practice against our countrymen it is more than justifiable and in that light my dearest major it commands my warmest and most patriotic admiration as a trial of skill too it is admirable truly admirable you know my principles my dearest husband and how very highly in the rank of virtues i class every effort that is made by human beings from motives of family affection and a wish to benefit those whom nature has made dependent upon us this consideration as you will easily believe prevents my judging too harshly of the little artifice which so cleverly doubled the sum of which it was the purpose of those stupid men to defraud you it was masterly donny but i will not delay a moment longer never oh never may i be an impediment to the exertions of a man who so nobly so bravely perils himself for the good of his family having pronounced these words with every demonstration of deep feeling mrs allen barnaby addressed herself once more to her packing yet once more she quitted it it was but for a moment but running to where the major stood in the act of closing a well-crammed portmanteau she threw her arms round his neck and tenderly kissed him exclaiming as she returned to her employment excuse me dearest donny but my heart was full to overflowing you are a noble creature and not to love you is impossible at the hour appointed on the following morning the major and his lady the don and his together with all their travelling appendages were safely stowed in a stage that was journeying westward and there for the present we must leave them chapter thirty eight filial affection beautifully displayed an eavesdropper a new acquaintance cross-examinations nothing could exceed the pleasant hilarity of major allen barnaby's spirits when he found himself once more on board a steamboat careening westward on the bosom of lake erie at the rate of twelve knots an hour his pocket-book crammed with bank-notes and nobody whom he had left behind him having any more right or reason to guess whither he was bound than he had to guess which way the wind would be likely to blow on the morrow and how should they since he did not know himself his lady who had been informed with the most perfect conjugal confidence of the real state of his finances was under the influence of the same delightful harmony of spirits as himself 
and though the Don and Patty were by no means admitted to the inmost recesses of the precious source from whence all this felicity sprung, they both of them had sufficient acuteness to feel quite sure that all was going right in the money department, and that such being the case, they would be likely, sooner or later, to come in for their share of the joke also. "'They may be as secret as they will, Tornarino,' said Patty, as she watched her father and mother laughing vehemently on the further side of the deck but if I don't get some of the cream of the jest and that's the money, never trust me more. And I'll tell you what, my Don, she continued, creeping very close to him, never let you or I say another word to either of them about our acting. As to Papa, he is a doting old fool and has worked himself into a desperate fright for fear I should leave him. That's the English of his objections. But as for Mama, I can see as far into a millstone as she can, maybe, and all the fuss she makes about it is just from jealousy and nothing else. I do think she is the vainest old soul that ever walked the earth, and the notion of my going to be stared at and admired, where she can never hope for leave to show her old face, is altogether more than she can bear. And so there now, the murder's out, as far as she is concerned. Mais c'est bête, mais bête, exclaimed Tornarino, for the old lady to hope herself belle comme sa fille. That's all right and true returned his clever wife, who, besides having made great progress in various other branches of human learning, was beginning to understand very tolerably her husband's composite language. But we must manage, my dear, to do something more than just to find out that the old lady is a goose. We must find out also how to feather her gay gosling's nest. And this must be the scheme, darling. Whenever Papa is in the sort of humor we see him now, we must coax and coax till we get something out of him, and by degrees, if we save it all up, we may be able to hoard enough for a frolic, as the folks here would call it, and then be off, my darling. See if we won't, and they may just wait till we want a little more before they get another chance of seeing our two handsome faces again. Whether the accomplished Tornorino exactly agreed with his lovely lady in this view of what would be wisest for the future, it is impossible to say because he cautiously avoided expressing any opinion on the subject, and confined his answer to a fond caress which was, at least, as far removed from expressing contradiction as acquiescence. But the pretty Patty was perfectly satisfied, and insisted not on any further explanation, but presently proposed that they should join their gay parents in order to begin the coaxing process with as little delay as possible. "'How I do love to see you laugh, my own dear papa,' said Patty passing her arm within that of her father as he leaned over the side of the ship. May I ask what it is about? You know, Papa, that I love to laugh, too. It was just about nothing at all, Patty. Or at any rate, the joke was one that you would not understand, for it had something to do with business, and I am sure you know nothing about that, do you, darling? said her loving father. Why, I know this much, Papa, replied the fond daughter, looking lovingly up in his face. I know that when people look so monstrously pleased when they are talking about business, it is a sure sign that they have been making money by it. What do you say to that, Pap? Don't you think I am right? You are so far right, Patty, that nobody, I suspect, would be very likely to be found laughing when they were discussing business by which they had lost money, replied the Major demurely. True as true, darling Pap, rejoined his daughter, looking very intelligent. But my wit goes a little further than that for I suspect that when people laugh so very heartily, they must have done something more clever than merely not losing. Well, Mrs. Don, replied the Major, pinching her cheek, you may suspect what you like. You look too handsome to be quarreled with. Do I? she cried, clapping her hands joyfully. 
then know that you can't for your life refuse to give one little tiny twenty dollars to buy me a new cloak and bonnet, can you, pap? Can you refuse your own poor Patty, who has not a single cent in the wide world that she can call her own? Think of that, pap. Is it not shocking? And I your only child, too. I doubt very much you're wanting either bonnet or cloak, Patty, said her father, shaking his head at her. However, I have no objection now and then, as you pretty well know, to make a fool of myself in order to please you. Major Allen Barnaby extracted his well-filled pocket-book from its deep receptacle in the breast of his coat as he spoke, and drawing forth four notes of five dollars each, presented them to his daughter, who received them with a joyous jump, and paid for them with a very hearty kiss. As no individual, excepting Mrs. Allen Barnaby and Don Tornarino, was near the spot on which this transfer took place, it never occurred to the parties concerned in it that any individual was privy to it, save and except themselves, and those immediately belonging to them. But in this they were mistaken. Quietly seated on a coil of rope which was concealed from the eyes of the Barnaby race by a huge pile of portmanteaus and carpet-bags, was an old, long-legged Yankee lawyer, who might have been supposed, even if they had been aware of his vicinity, to have been too much occupied by the newspaper which he seemed to be reading to have any eyes left for looking about him. Such a conjecture, however, would have been altogether erroneous. Mr. Gabriel Monkton was never so much occupied by anything when surrounded by his fellow creatures as to be unable to look about him. It was by looking about him that he had made his way upwards, from a very dirty little boy sweeping an office, to a very good-looking gentleman seated at the highest desk in it, and he was too sensible a man to leave off a profitable habit, merely because it had been of use to him. Therefore, though he was now a very rich instead of a very poor man, he still continued to find out everything that happened within his reach, and in one way or another was pretty sure to find it answer. It needed no ghost to tell him that Major Allen Barnaby, with his full lips and his full chest, was no American. He found that out before he had turned his quid once after first glancing at him. And having made this discovery, he watched him, of course, the more narrowly. For there is a great deal more interest, and very often more profit, too, in finding out the who, the why, and the wherefore concerning a foreigner than concerning a native, and then his daughter with his wife was rather of a chuckling and triumphant kind, the tone of which grated a little on the sober ear of the New Englander, and suggested notions of successful trickery, or at the very least, of successful barter. Now, as both these branches of human industry are held by all genuine Yankees to belong to them, almost as a monopoly established by nature herself, it cannot be wondered at if Mr. Gabriel Monkton looked at Major Allen Barnaby with a jealous, if not a suspicious eye, and then came in full view of the ensconced chewer, the blooming Patty, with her jumping and jollity, her kissing and coaxing, and then the plump pocket-book and a very advantageous side view of the contents of one pocket thereof. The mind of Mr. Gabriel Monkton was both analytical and logical, and he never suffered these noble faculties to lie idle on an occasion like the present. He perceived that the notes thus made visible to him were the dear, darning, dirty-dollar notes, as precious to his heart as they were familiar to his eyes, and which spoke their birthplace and their origin in a language not to be mistaken. Ergo, this store of wealth was not the travelling cash of an English Niagara visitor, but must have been found, if not made, within the limits of the glorious Union. As to its being the product of English bills, banknotes, or sovereigns changed for convenience into American currency, that was quite out of the question. 
as no man in his senses, as the Yankee meditator well knew, would change English money for American if he could help it, and therefore the plethoric form of the pocket-book put the matter out of all doubt. How then did the fellow get together such an unaccountable lot of state's paper? Not state papers. This change in the position of a letter would have rendered the question one of utter indifference to the questioner. It was a puzzle that no unaided guessing or calculating could solve, and therefore, delightful as were the sensations enjoyed in his present retreat, his heels being thrown considerably higher than his head, his mouth full of tobacco, and the uninterrupted spittoon round him as extensive as his heart could wish, notwithstanding all this, Mr. Gabriel Monkton manfully resolved to sacrifice the enjoyment of it for the purpose of acquiring the information his intelligent mind thirsted to obtain. With this view, he continued to watch the movements of the party till the junior couple had left the senior one, and then letting drop first one leg and then the other, and placing his light-colored beaver on his head in such an angle as gave it the chance of keeping its place during the act of rising, he gave a sort of frog-like spring, and found himself once again in the much less luxurious, but much more ordinary position of a human being. In plain English, he stood upright. The sound produced by this violent change of attitude caused Major and Mrs. Allen Barnaby to start and turn their heads towards him. This was lucky, for it served all the purposes of an introduction. "'No offence, I hope, sir,' said Mr. Gabriel Monkton, with a conciliatory sort of nod. "'But I expect that I startled your lady a bit.' "'Not at all, I assure you,' replied Mrs. Allen Barnaby, with one of those swimming, swinging curtsies with which she never failed to honour every new acquaintance. "'I am not quite so nervous as that.' "'Fine day for esteem, sir.' said the lawyer, having acknowledged Mrs. Allen Barnaby's civility by a bow, for Mr. Gabriel Monkton, like the majority of his countrymen, as long at least as they remain on their native soil, never addressed his conversation to a lady while there was one of the nobler sex near, and a capital boat this, as I expect you'll allow. Delightful, sir, both, both delightful. The weather and the boat, too, are worthy of America, returned the major with a smile of great amenity. I expect you mean the United States, sir, when you say America, for we can't calculate that this whole quarter of the world can show such craft as this, to say nothing of the weather. Unquestionably, sir, I spoke incorrectly, returned the courteous major, but the fact is that the immense disproportion in point of importance which the nation properly denominated the United States of America bears to the entire continent leads Europeans to forget that the quarter of the world called America contains anything else. Likely enough, sir, and in time I should not be very greatly surprised if all the civilized portion of the world was to adopt and take upon itself the appellation of United States, owing one and all maybe the federal authority of our president. There are considerable many indications up and down the world in many directions that makes it look probable, we think, said Mr. Gabriel Monkton. I give you my honor, sir, returned the major, that the same idea has repeatedly struck me, and for my own part, I positively think it would be the salvation of mankind. Indeed, without some measure of that sort, I profess I don't see how the existence of the European nations is to be preserved. Why, on this side the water we are all pretty well come to the same notion, that's a fact. But you see, sir, before anything of that kind could be acted upon, we should have a good deal to do in the way of condescending to make sacrifices for the general good returned Mr. Gabriel Monkton. There is no denying, sir, he continued with the modest air of a man acknowledging a weakness. There is no denying that it is pleasant and agreeable, aye, very pleasant and agreeable, 
to be first and foremost of all the people of the earth. But if once we take it into our heads to make it a main object with our government that they shall gather all the nations of the world and sit and brood over them, as I may say, hatching them out of their present egg-like sort of imprisonment, till they all fly off like so many freeborns, if once we do this, where will our superiority be? All the world will look then to share and share alike, I calculate. How admirably true, exclaimed Mrs. Allen Barnaby, clasping her hands and turning her great eyes towards the sky. Is it not a pleasure, Major, to listen to such magnificent ideas? I beg your excuse, sir. I did not know your title till your lady named it, said Mr. Gabriel Monkton. In the English army, I presume, sir. Yes, sir, that is my profession. I am a major in the army, and hold also an appointment on the staff, which I am sorry to say will not permit my being long absent from home. It is a sad punishment for an enlightened Englishman, after once finding himself in the United States, to feel that he shall be obliged to leave them again, said the major with a sigh. I expect it must, sir, returned his new acquaintance. Then you don't calculate, he added, after pausing for a moment, upon continuing here for the purpose of making any speculation in the mercantile line. No, sir, I have no idea of the kind. My duty, unfortunately, calls me elsewhere. Then you are only here to take a stare at us, I guess, like the rest of the world. Nobody, I expect, counts themselves right down well-educated in these days without having come a few thousand miles to look at the citizens of the United States observed Mr. Gabriel Monkton, the natural harshness of his adust countenance a good deal softened. It is pretty considerable much of a compliment, that. I don't see the way to deny it, that's a fact. And pray, Major, may I ask the favor of your name? Major Allen Barnaby had meditated more than once since leaving New York upon the probable advantages and disadvantages of once more making some little alteration in his name but not having fully decided upon the measure, he was now in a manner compelled to decide against it, for he instantly remembered the numerous packages which bore labels which it would not do to contradict, and he therefore answered, though perhaps with some little shadow of hesitation, My name, sir, is Allan Barnaby. Permit me to present to you Mrs. Allan Barnaby. The Yankee bowed stiffly, so stiffly indeed, that my heroine, who had rarely in the course of her eventful life found it so difficult to draw attention to herself, soon became weary of finding herself entière, where she was not looked upon as a principal, and walked off to a sofa near the stern of the vessel, where two smart-looking ladies were already seated, whom she flattered herself she should find means of rendering more sociable than the stiff Mr. Gabriel Monkton. End of chapters 37 and 38